Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Data on Kubernetes community. We are over, we've done over 30 meetups now at this point. Um, my name is Bart Farrell, and as always, it's a pleasure to be hosting you here today on Tuesday afternoon where I am, um, Tuesday morning, I believe, where, where you are, Ben. And uh, today uh, we have, as always, but today we really do have a very special guest um, in many ways, uh, someone who's blazing those his own trail, who's created his own path. Um, and you can find out a lot more about him on his, on his blog. We'll definitely be linking that. Um, you can find it on our LinkedIn. You can find it as well. It's pretty easy to find. Don't think there's a lot of competition in SEO for Seattle data guys. So that was a very good choice. Um, just for folks that might be new joining, you can see the links on the screen to our Twitter, to our Slack, and to our LinkedIn. Um, we're, we're there. You can get in touch with us. Like I said, my name is Bart. We're always looking for speakers. doesn't matter what your level is. If you're approaching this data world, this Kubernetes world, we're always looking for people with different ideas, people from different countries. We're doing meetups in Portuguese. We're doing meetups in Spanish. We're doing meetups in Dutch, uh, hopefully going to be doing meetups in Russian. Um, so like I said, you speak any language, you have ideas you want to share, you can get in touch with us. As I said, today, our guest is Ben Rogojan, who is also known as the Seattle Data Guy. And obviously that name uh, comes for a reason. There's a reason why it's not the Chicago data guy or uh, hopefully no one's out there copying you, Pat, you know, Pat and Bendy. Um, and you know, you've, you've, you've worn many hats, but now you're, you're very concentrated, I, I believe on consulting. We're interested in hearing more about that. And today we're gonna be hearing about the full data life cycle and where do we go from here? So without further ado, um, Ben, if you could just introduce yourself, explain a little bit about how you got to this position straddling both kind of worlds of both data science and data engineering and what you're up to now. Uh, yeah, so sure. Just, just as like, uh, so I guess a quick background on me. Um, I originally kind of started in uh, the healthcare kind of analytics space, um, probably because uh, honestly, when, when I first started, uh, you know, we talked about this or you brought this up earlier is like uh, in college, I was introduced to the concept of epidemiology. And, and that was kind of like the first concepts of like data visualization, um, using data kind of in a more applicable way outside of kind of more of just your typical statistics course and in real life ways uh, that I found very interesting. Um, and so when I when I came into the workforce uh, and started I really wanted to work kind of just to see what what's occurring in like the healthcare space, what kind of analytics is, is going on there. So that, that's really where uh, I think I did a lot of work um, as far as uh, healthcare goes and, and analytics goes. So that's kind of where it all started. Um, yeah, since then, uh, I've worked for a few other companies, some, some big tech, as well as, again, like you brought up, uh, starting my own consulting company. Uh, it started, honestly, when I uh, only about two years in because I had a friend who asked me to do some help uh, just to develop some database uh, products and a dashboard. And from there, it's kind of stemmed off into me working into a couple different industries, um, you know, everything from like insurance, transportation, SaaS, and doing everything from, again, starting from complete scratch where a lot of, I'm working with a lot of companies that maybe have never really had a data strategy or never really used data uh, to do anything whatsoever as far as like analytics goes, besides maybe some basic reporting and really taking them to like that next level. You know, maybe they need a data warehouse, maybe they need a model and really just taking them from that raw state uh, to that end state. Um, and so I, I really had that, uh, like you said, like you kind of brought up that ability to kind of straddle both data engineering and, and data science. Uh, I do think I tend to be more on the data engineering side. Um, you know, I, I think one, I think a lot of the work uh, still needs to be done uh, in the data engineering side in general. So that's why I think, um, you know, there's just a lot of work there. A lot of my clients, that's where it starts. Um, I think data science just has all the fun stuff to do. You know, yeah, you got to build right? that base isn't, layer. Isn't, that, isn't it kind of it that maybe it's, you know, like the, you know, two sides of the same coin, but, but it does seem that 
just in general, in terms of, you know, profiles that we encounter nowadays, uh, somebody might study mathematics or physics or, or, or bio biotech, you know, might drift into the data science world. Whereas data engineering, what would you say, you know, just in basic terms of how, you know, because there might be some confusion from some of your clients about what might be involved in each one of those profiles and saying, well, this is more of a data science test. This is more of a data engineering test. For folks that want to get more to data engineering, what kind of resources might you recommend or good starting points? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think there's like a few key areas that data engineering deals with. You know, you've got one, it's just kind of the data movement aspects of so taking data from raw to some sort of final uh, or production layer of data. This is off in like either an ETL, ELT, streaming data. There's, there's a couple different kind of sources there. So you can look into things like, you know, Airflow um, or ETLs versus ELTs if you're trying to kind of figure out the difference and then streaming tools as well, like Kafka or Kinesis, just to kind of understand these various components and what they're supposed to do. Uh, and then you can kind of find the tools underneath them because I, I think you kind of have to understand what you're trying to do and then you can kind of figure out, okay, I want to use Airflow or whatever it might be. Um, uh, so, so that's that's one side of it. The other side is definitely more of like the data modeling side, um, which I think is ever changing uh, in terms of like we we've kind of gone away from or not gone. We're kind of like evolving from what used to be a little more like Kimball uh, style data warehouses and like uh, and Inman style data warehouses and, and moving away from that just because we can now like store data almost more however we want. <laughs> so I think we're we're trying to figure out what that means in a lot of cases. Um, so I, I think it's evolving, but I think there's a lot of value if you want to go learn about like Kimball and Inman and, and kind of the original styles, you know, they, they both, I think, have books. Um, and a lot of those are still pretty much used uh, pretty readily almost everywhere I've been today. Again, I just think a lot of companies are challenging a lot of those models because, you know, they're, they're still kind of slow to develop. And um, a lot of people are trying to get that data so fast. Um, yeah, that's kind of a challenge. So, so yeah, ETLs. Uh, data warehouses to keep places to kind of learn um, and then just general you know programming you're always going to not always but I think you know understanding programming is pretty key um, in you know as a data engineer uh, so I, I think most people you know as long as you know like Python um, or Java or Scala or something that's like very uh, applicable um, I think those are usually beneficial and then SQL SQL is definitely the uh, the bread and butter like uh, oftentimes what you'll find is the the coding you do is often more of just like a framework to go around the SQL or whatever you're writing um, you know to actually do the the, the, the data movement um, and so so I think those are kind of the key areas that you'll see you know you, you want to learn is if you want to be a data engineer and it's all about you know really kind of creating that central data repository that you can access all of these different sources from, right? Because that's generally the challenge you see is like, you know, even, I'm finding even companies, again, in like the $10, $20 million range will have like seven different data sources. You know, they've got their commerce platform, they've got their CRM, they've got Salesforce, they've got, you know, all these different places. So just being able to bring it all together. So that's generally what I, I try to explain to people. It's like, well, it's just going to be easier, right? Otherwise, you've got to, you know, pull an Excel report from Salesforce and then this report from here and this report from here. And then kind of glue them all together every time you need to do this analysis. So, you know, how do we avoid that? So. And that's interesting too, also, because it's something that's recurring in a lot of our conversations with different folks out there is you've got one thing was the technical technological aspect, but then there's also thing of a cultural aspect. And so what you're saying is like, let's create a culture where there's unification amongst tools and we're not having you no know, kind of islands or silos where, where, where things are operating in different ways. And that makes it much harder than to probably get all that data together and analyze it. Would you agree? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's always, that's always the fight. Um, I think that's like, like, you know, it's been the, the concept of data warehousing for, I don't even know how long, for the last 30, 40 years. Uh, it's a constant fight. Like, I think it's one of those things where it's like, you, you maybe centralize some new system. And then by the time you finish, you know, with Salesforce, then they get it, like, you've got 10 new tools that the company has purchased that you're now like, oh, now we have to figure out how to add these in. Um, or maybe 
they're switching over from Salesforce to something else. So I think I think it's one one of the hard thing. Like the pieces are always moving, and so I think that's the big fight that we're constantly in, and why companies are continually needing to do data engineering work. It's just because it's like there's just so many moving pieces and so much changing. Um, also, just data is getting bigger in the sense that you know we we went from just being able to look at like CRM data and ERP data, which was kind of you know like you think about like the base level, like that 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 used to be kind of the main. That way you looked at it. it wasn't it wasn't very complex and now you're going to e-commerce you're going to iot and you're just getting so much more data um and so even even once we manage to like the, the the base level of erps and base levels of data then you have all this other layers that you're gonna have to deal with again like iot and and crazy amounts of data that can literally tell you what someone's doing step by step versus just kind of their clicks online um so so yeah it's just, it's just constantly growing for what what we need to kind of manage yeah good that being said, uh, you know, the topic for today is data lifecycle. Can you just explain roughly what that means before getting more into it? Yeah, sure. So, so to me, it just means, um, you know, the process of going from essentially something raw, like raw data to, to some sort of end product. So it, it's very similar to me. So like, you know, anything about a software uh, life cycle where it's like you, you start with some sort of, you want to do something and how do you go from like, you know, a, an idea to like that final product in here? It's like, you're still kind of developing software uh, in the data product life cycle. Often it's like a dashboard or a machine learning model, something like that. And then from there, you know, it needs to be put into production, needs to be monitored, needs to be, you know, QA. You often want to add new features. You often want to, you know, maybe you want to add a new uh, chart to a dashboard. Maybe you want to add a new KPI and, and all these things and, and trying to manage that whole flow um, in a method that is a little more maintainable and a little more sustained and not just kind of, uh, you know, kind of out there. All right. Um, yeah. So when we're talking about raw sources, you mentioned some of these earlier, but, you know, it could be insurance, it could be healthcare, it could be IOT. What are some of the new sources that you seem to be coming in? Um, I mean, I, I, like, like um, again, I think a lot of companies, not necessarily new, but like, you know, a lot of companies um, that are much smaller, again, like the 10 to $20 million range that you're running into a lot uh, are just bringing in their, their e-commerce data and trying to analyze it for the first time and trying to, to you know, just gather it, understand it, trying to figure out how to better, um, you know, manage everything, you know, they're trying to optimize their own businesses the same way like large companies are. So I think there's that aspect of it where it's like some companies are just getting started on this whole data journey. Um, I think that it's it's less about like maybe new data sources. I think, you know, a lot of companies are still kind of dealing with their current and it's more about like better integration that I think is where a lot of companies are trying to spend a lot of their time, which is, you know, like how do we make sure that we can connect our data from Workday to Salesforce to Zendesk, you know, in one proper flow and not, you know, have all those disparate data sources that, you know, yes, we, we put them all in data warehouse, but we can't even join them. So I think there's a lot more work being done there at that base layer than like trying to bring in new data. I, I think there's tons of IoT data obviously being brought in, you know, if you're a manufacturing plant, I think you're definitely seeing that. Um, but I think, you know, still for a lot of companies, they're still just trying to like, again, connect everything together so they can actually get the insights they're trying to work on. Mm -hmm. So when you're, when you're approaching companies, you know, as a consultant, um, do you find that you have a sort of standard set of, you know, questions that you might be asking or metrics that you want to look at, or is it more done on a case by case basis? Uh, I mean, I mean, there's definitely like, I think it starts with kind of your standard set of questions that then, you know, rolls into more of a case by case basis, right? Like, you know, I'll kind of try to figure out what data sources they have, if they have any plans or have already kind of done some work as far as, you know, data engineering, data, trying to centralize their systems more, um, what tools they were using, you know, um, I, I try to understand kind of their uh, team's kind of data understanding and like, like, 
you know, am I building something where, you know, it's going to be data warehouse and your team's going to be build dashboards on top of it? Or am I building something so I can, you know, build dashboards on it because, you know, your team maybe doesn't have the technical skill to do it or time to do it. Um, so I, I think it, those are generally what I try to try to assess first is, you know, just where are you at? Um, what data sources do you have? Uh, do you, have you done any work at all? Or is this kind of, you know, starting out and then try and figure out your business goals. I think that's the other big area. It's like, okay, what do you even want to do? You know, what, what is your hope at the end of this? You know, do you have questions that you want to answer? Or do you, do you have no idea? And you're just trying to, you, you assume there's value, you know, and, and trying to assess where they are because again, some people have very specific ideas. Some people have tons of ideas and, and, you know, they've read tons of articles and they might all be good, but you know, you have to kind of pick what actually aligns with the business um, and what actually is going to fit, you know, in, in a certain time frame. Um, so I, I think those are the kind of the, the key areas, like where are you at and what are you actually wanting to do? Um, I kind of, kind of the standard sets of questions I will, I will try to put out there. Yeah. It doesn't seem difficult sometimes that maybe when you talk about objectives, or, you know, what are your goals that the client might assume that, no, no, that's your job. That's why I'm hiring you. And so sometimes to hack, to do that work might take some encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's definitely, definitely sometimes an aspect that, you know, I don't think I've had anyone say that like directly, but I've definitely had, you know, that, that kind of component where it's like, they, they don't know, you know, it's just like, we have all this data. We assume that there's value. Um, and I think some of that uh, comes with talking to them, like trying to like figure out where they actually want to, you know, use that data. You know, I'm sure you can often talk to them and they have questions. Um, they just, you know, maybe have not crystallized them or put them down. And so just trying to lead them to those questions to find them. Um, and then also, you know, that, that, that gives you the opportunity to kind of explore their data too, because there will likely be some value, uh, especially if they've never looked at their data before. You know, it, it's funny how, how little some people have in as far as insights go into their data, you know, like I, I've, I've talked to people who don't even know who their top 10 customers are, you know, like, I don't like, you know, they have to like pull out that report and I'm like, you know, that's like, so, and, and that's happened more than once where it's like, so it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, even doing those base level things sometimes can help someone just get a better understanding. Um, it, it's about kind of just, yeah. Uh, sorry. Now I'm forgetting kind of where the question was going. No, but. no, no, no. But it's basically the question about objectives is that I think whether it's, it's any sort of question is that, um, a lot of times it's like, okay, like you said, they may have data, but they don't know what to do with it, but they assume there's value in it. With that in mind, I remember about five years ago, my, my boss went to a, I think it was a, it's a Hadoop conference, I think. I'm not, I'm not sure, but a lot of big data technologies around and came back with all these stickers and t-shirts saying data is the new bacon. Um, obviously we can enter into dietary discussions and things about vegan, <laughs> being vegan or not, or whether or not we want to go plant-based or not. Um, and we'll later talk about food because you also have a food background. But do you agree with that same or they'll say data is the new oil, is the new this, is the new that? Is it really about having it or what you decide to do with it? Um, I mean, it's definitely like what you decide to do with it. And that's like, so obviously I, I, I've seen plenty of articles where it's like, First, and I think this is like always the trend with articles as someone, you know, I can talk about, I'll talk about this later. You know, I write a lot. You see this with, with article writing, you know, first people are like all for this concept, right? Oh, data is the new oil. And like, everyone's writing articles about it. And then people get sick of it. And then people start writing counter articles, right? Like stop saying data is the new oil. And it's like, okay, guys, like we get it. You're, you know, you want to be contrarian. Um, I, I think to some aspect, like I understand the, the analogy of oil, right? Because oil has so many uses, but it requires things like refining, requires steps like you know, actually getting it to the point of, you know, being usable. So that's why, like, I, I don't necessarily, like, I get, like, why people might hate it, but, like, I also understand why you would use that analogy. There's a lot of truth to it, where it's, like, data has a lot of applications. You know, it doesn't just have, you know, machine learning applications. You can, again, also create dashboards and KPIs, and there's all this value, but it also requires a lot of processing and, and using, you know, and actually, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, 
really like prefabricating essentially, you know, it can't just be used right away. It's often very dirty. Um, and then also like, as far as like, as almost like value in itself, just being there is like, if that data is cleaned, uh, yeah, there's a lot of value in it. You know, there's a lot of companies that, that make a ton of money just by um, often providing more of that, uh, not being the commodity, but being like the, the car, right? Like they're, they're and I, I'll talk about this, you know, in the, in the talk, there, there are companies yeah. that they're hundred percent of their revenue is basically their data product, right? Like they, they, they sell a dashboard or they sell something um, that they just pre-made and then they, you give them the data, um, you know, you're, you basically just pay them for the end. So, so I think that's why I sometimes kind of, kind of do agree with that analogy. Again, I, I can see why people might hate it because it's been used so much, but it's one of those things where it's like, okay, but the point of an analogy is just to simplify a concept. So right. <laughs> you might at, hate at, it, but at, it's at, like, the end, it's, at the end of the day, it's like, Hey, we got into five words. So <laughs> let's just be happy that, that, that we that were able to synthesize the concept. Now um, with, with these questions, I think we have, uh, you know, good groundwork. If you want to jump into um, the, the, the points you want to go over related to data life cycle, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so do you mind if I share my screen? Absolutely. Go for it. Yeah. I'm going to share and then present. Oh, we already have a question. Um, so we I saw a, that. First of all, yeah, thanks. Do you, do you want to take that now or do you want to take it later? Um, I, maybe, maybe take it later. If, if no that's okay, that's okay, that's okay. Yeah, Perfect. keep the questions coming in the chat, but we're going to say we'll get through the presentation first and then we'll get into the questions. And if for whatever reason we don't get into the questions today, we can definitely consider uh, continue the conversation. Um, in Slack, uh, on Twitter, et cetera. So no problems there. Go for it. Awesome. All right. So yeah, just kind of to, to you know, round up the talk, the, the goal of this talk is kind of discuss about like the data product life cycle, the data product life cycle as well, some of the challenges that we face. Also, you can all see my screen, right? I don't know if I asked that. Yeah, yeah, we're all good. Yep. Perfect. All right. Uh, so kind of what's on the agenda for today, I kind of want to talk about some of the experiences I've had um, in the world of data, um, both, you know, well, kind of like where I started and, and kind of things I was learning, uh, what problems you run into, you know, when you're building data products, kind of what is a data product? What am I defining as a data product? Um, what is a data product lifecycle? What are kind of the problems you run into when you're even with a data product lifecycle? Like where, where are the gaps? How are we trying to solve those and kind of what tools are at our disposal? So that's kind of, that's kind of my goal for today. Um, again, kind of just, uh, we, we started this earlier, but a quick background about me again, I've started in healthcare analytics um, and I've consulted pretty widely at this point for a multitude of in industries, including, you know, things like finance, insurance, transportation. Um, I think that's given me a lot of uh, insight just because, you know, again, all these different industries um, often have a lot of similar problems. You know, they often, again, you often have to start with trying to figure out what data they have. You often have to start with, you know, often getting them out, out of whatever mindset they might've been in before. Like, especially if you're working with bigger companies where they have kind of patchworked data infrastructure where it's, you know, all run on cron or something where it's not very concise. Um, and also I've, I've had a lot of experiences as far as like coming in at different stages, you know, I've come in, in stages where, you know, they, they have nothing, they've got no, uh, data product whatsoever, or no work ever done. They just have these databases or, or applications and they, they'd like to centralize a lot of information. Um, and I've also come into places where, you know, maybe they've already tried to do some work with another consultant um, and that consultants or teams maybe had struggled to, you know, bring that product to fruition. So I've come in and kind of, you know, finished off some products in a couple of cases, uh, as well as kind of replacing old products and migrating um, services. So I've also come in where people already had an idea of what they wanted. They just need to migrate for one reason or the other. And so, so all these kind of things have different challenges as far as, you know, developing products or, or even, you know, just fitting in different pieces um, in as far as the data product lifecycle goes. So I, I've had that opportunity to really 
play the whole kind of field as far as from raw data uh, to kind of either some sort of ML model or dashboard. And so I, I always kind of like the, the insights I've gotten from all those different steps. Um, on top of that, I've, I like to say I'm an accidental writer just because uh, at this point I have, you know, like I think most tech people have started, you know, you started a medium at some point and that blew up into, you know, uh, one, it helps me get clients Two, you know, I, I at this point also write for a couple other companies as well. Um, on technical uh, topics. So, you know, you can find me under Seattle Data Guy, but you can also probably find me under a, a few other companies that I've written for in the past. Um, so it, quick, it's quick definitely question a lot on, of fun. Quick question on that. I mean, you obviously have to organize yourself very well for consulting, for speaking, for writing. Just for folks out there that might be interested in generating their own content, what's your secret to that or how do you do it? Um, I mean, I think, I think the thing, there's a couple of things. Like one, you have to kind of choose what you want to do. Uh, in, in a sense of like, you, you have to prioritize what needs to get done first. Um, like there, there are definitely things like for this talk, like I, I've had to put on a, a, I've had to put off a few writing things because it's like, well, you know, I, I have to choose what to finish. So sometimes you just have to make sure you finish something. I think that was something I, I learned from someone else that was very smart. You know, it's better to just finish something and not have like 10 or 20 projects opened and half done. Like the story um, so of my that, life. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like it's like constantly trying to actually close boxes. That's what I like to tell people. I'm like constantly opening boxes and constantly closing them again. Um, so yeah, so I think that's one aspect of it. Uh, I think another aspect is, you know, constantly try to, you know, you're, you're constantly doing things in your day-to-day -day that you can write about in terms of like, you know, I consulted about something and while it's fresh in your mind, it's not a bad idea to write about it, um, you know, or vice versa. You know, maybe you're you're writing about something and it makes it very easy to now talk about consulting about it. Um, so I think that's another aspect is, you know, you don't have to constantly do new things. I think people are constantly trying to be super innovative and new. And it's like, there's a lot of basic concepts that you can cover as far as writing goes that you're dealing with. Like there's often problems that you're dealing with as a consultant um, that maybe you feel are unique that probably aren't. And so it's probably worth writing about. And so I think that's something that's, that's a good concept to understand is like, you know, if you're experiencing a problem, someone else is probably experiencing it too. So it's probably worth writing about. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of, that's kind of how I do it. Um, you know, I've, I'm constantly trying to just balance. I, yes, I'm constantly trying to balance it, but like oftentimes I, I try to overlap as much as I can. Mm -hmm. um, so that way I'm, you know, getting the, the synergy as much as possible. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, so you can, again, you can find me Seattle Data Guy on Medium, but also I have the seattledataguy.com um, and Substack and, you know, every, every content, uh, developer creators like kind of platforms at this point um and then uh, you brought it up earlier i also did uh, do a lot of food uh food work at some point in my life i did uh, i was in fine dining uh to basically pay my way through college um there was a part of me that thought that's what i was going to do with my life um until i you know went from 16 to 20 and realized how uh how much of a raise i got between those like four or five years and decided yeah. you know that probably wouldn't be for me um, but I did do, I, it was a lot of fun. I did a lot of, uh, a lot of different works, you know, every, everyone's baking bread now. And I was like, Oh, I was doing that like every day for work before. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's just, it's, um, that was, that was a, that was a past life at this point. It's, it's, I think at this point, like almost a decade behind me. And so it feels so long ago. <laughs> um, all right. So yeah, so that's a quick background about me and my data experience. Um, it's, and it's been a lot of fun, definitely from the perspective of, you know, different problems I got to solve. Mm -hmm. All right. So when I first started working in data, I wanted to kind of just cover some things about like just often dumb things I was doing um, because, you know, no one told me better. <laughs> uh, you know, the first place I ever worked uh, was at a hospital and I, you know, I, I had that 
uh, lucky fortune to where, you know, the person that had hired me and was a little more technical ended up leaving like a week after I started um, and they never hired a more technical person. And so I, I ended up falling into that, that technical role um, and, you know, just figuring out all the, all the ways you can make um, terrible decisions um, as far as, you know, and doing analysis and, and creating um data products. So for example, like just saving queries in Excel. So I think that was something I eventually picked up from another friend where they were just like, they're like, oh, I would do this analysis or this thing and, and just save the query in Excel. And then now you've got that, that query saved and it's attached to that Excel document. So you know which query went to what Excel document. Um, so I think that was something that I, you know, I was just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, and that becomes very hairy very quickly. Um, you know, you're, you're constantly like, wait, did I make changes to this query? I don't remember. Um, you know, when I ran it, which one did I run? Did I remember to copy and paste the new query into this, you know, Excel document? Um, so I think that was definitely one of those things that was painful. And, you know, it, it will make your, uh, your, your data process, whatever it might be, very unmaintainable, you know, because, uh, you know, once you leave um, teams or companies, you know, now does someone know about that document? Does someone know they better run this query? Um, so you just run into a lot of problems like that. Um, kind of a lack of data management. And I mean that in a couple of different ways. Uh, one is just like, I... I think I picked up this habit again from like looking at other people's examples where it was just like, oh, you can just kind of have like some data be in an Excel and some data be in a table and some data be, you know, on a Google sheet somewhere and you can just join on it an, all together. On a napkin. Yeah. Yeah. You can join it all together on Tableau and it'll be great. And, you know, again, that just goes back to the, it's not a sustainable process. Often, you know, again, like it's, you're, you might have to update that Excel so often and you think, you know, it's fine, um, but it just quickly becomes, you know, a mess. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's definitely something I remember. Um, version control. And I think the thing I find funniest about this example, obviously this is like docs and whatever, but um, the fact that I think this joke is so poignant to so many people tells me that a lot of people have done this where it's just like, you know, it's like, you know, like final, final version, like whatever, you know. <laughs> Corrected you know, by is, so-and-so, and yeah, number 35,000. Yeah. Yeah. You put the date timestamp on it, you're like, that'll make it clear. Oh, wait, now I've had two different versions on the same date. Okay, well, this is the final version. No, th no this is finally the final version. <laughs> um, and so, so like version control problems where you get everything from queries to data sets to, you know, maybe some sort of Jupyter notebook, whatever it might have been, you know, there was just this lack of kind of um, tracking that I would do because, you know, it, it just would make sense, right? Like you're just trying to do work. You're just trying to trying to go forward and, and I think also when you're just starting out in, uh, in the tech field, especially, you're not used to the, the pace. Um, often, I think in school, you're very used to like, oh, I built a website in a week, you know, and then suddenly you're going into a company and it's like, it took me two weeks to change a data field, um, you know, because there's a lot more process often involved or something. Um, so I think, I think that's also an aspect we run into is like, we're trying to move so fast because that's what we're used to. Um, but oftentimes that leads to, again, unmaintainable practices, like, again, just saving file names with a little um, suffix or prefix that's supposed to define what something is. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's I think, uh, another major problem that I, I realized very quickly. Uh, and then no performance tracking for models. So, you know, I, I think another aspect that I, I've seen a little less, and I don't think I had to do as much model deployment where I had this problem, um, maybe because I, I, at this point, started getting a little bit better. Um, but it's definitely a problem, which is, you know, you deploy, we, we start deploying models. Um, and, and there's this, we kind of forget this, this step where it's like, well, we, how is that model actually doing? You know, you know, we, we've put out this thing. Is it, you know, 
giving us the right uh, output? You know, are, are the people responding to it or whatever that model is supposed to do? Is, is, it, is it actually benefiting us the way that we're hoping that it's supposed to benefit us? Um, you know, if, it, if it's supposed to, you know, optimize pricing, you know, you probably want to do something like track uh, your sales or something to see if you're actually increasing pricing um, or increasing closing rate of sales or whatever it is that you're trying to do. But having that definition of goal, um, I think is uh, something that, you know, you start realizing as you, you you go on with ML models, but I think you kind of uh, get skipped over. You know, again, we're so focused, I think, as as data people and as engineers, at just making something work. We don't always necessarily think about the maintainable aspect and the aspect of, okay, beyond just how does it work, how is it going to live in the whole tool? And so so this is kind of when I first started working. Just some of the problems I was definitely running into and, and learning from. <laughs> um, so basically... Kind of what these lead to and what problems I've seen these lead to as far as data product development goes, um, you know, lack of coherent data process, you know, um, without kind of having some sort of process. And I mean, you know, that can, that could be almost any step of the whole way, you know, it could be as far as developing the SQL that's going to go into a dashboard that's now used to make million dollar decisions, you know, the lack, um, the lack of having some sort of process in there, you know, can pretty easily lead to, you know, bad SQL, bad logic. Um, I, th I think SQL is much trickier than most people realize. Or at least it's not so much about the SQL being tricky. It's probably more about, you know, the data model being tricky or, or things like that. Uh, as well as often, you know, if you don't have kind of a co coherent data process, it can also lead to kind of systems that are very uh, just patchworky. Um, you know, I brought up cron earlier, but I, th I think there's a lot of there's a lot of openings for that where you're just like, oh, I'll just run this this Python script at 12 a.m. in the morning and you know, then it'll call something else, or maybe I'll just set another script later on. I don't really plan to have any dependency tracking. Um, it's just going to kind of run later and they should not run into each other and there'll be no problems. Um, and so I think that kind of uh, happens when you don't have coherent data processes and uh, clear kind of methods for deploying code. Um, so I, I think that's a big, a big issue I've, I've definitely seen, you know, where every team kind of just takes on their own method for uh, ETLs or whatever it might be. It's like, again, one team might use SSAS, one team might use Airflow, one team might just use Python scripts. Um, and that, again, that just often leads to very difficult systems to maintain uh, and other, other kind of challenges. Um, another kind of challenge that I've seen is poor model performance tracking. So again, just just deploying models and then not really thinking about the, the KPI standpoint and, and what it will do uh, once it gets out there. You know, um, you know that, that's where you can have, you know, one, you risk, you know, someone arguably taking advantage of that model for their own gain or, or just to do something silly, like, you know, um, regardless how you feel about it. But, you know, I think, right, like if I recall, Reddit um, did the whole thing where they uh, had Trump show up when you Googled the word, I think like idiot or something, which was just basically through a combination of like SEO and, and, and Google's model, which is, it's funny. Um, but like, you know, there's definitely some bad ways I can assume models can be used in the same way, like where it's a little more nefarious than just, you know, something, a joke. Um, so yeah, so I think reckon, I think yeah, reckon, yeah, recognizing the intent behind the search and then guiding obviously uh, to, to a certain destination, anticipating what the person's going to be looking for. And we can definitely see and have seen the use or misuse of, of those sort of techniques, right? Yeah. So, so I think that that can also sometimes play in that, that, that model performance. Like, is, it, is the model actually still doing the thing that you meant it to do? Or is it, you know, is it acting, acting weird? Is the data changing? Um, is the input changing? Is the output changing? Kind of, kind of, kind of just constantly tracking that. 
Um, and then I kind of brought this up already, but yeah, no SQL or dashboard QA. Um, so SQL is one aspect of it. I think the other aspect of it is definitely like dashboards. So when you have things like Tableau, you know, I, I often like to say, like, try to put as much logic as you can in one layer. Um, you know, like if you're going to do a lot of logic, try to do it in SQL or try to do it in dashboard, but pick because, you know, uh, basically I would say you have to QA both at the end of the day, because if you start adding, you know, calculated fields or something like that into your Tableau or Chart.io or whatever tool you might be using, um, you're just adding more like risk of some new error happening. Right. Um, and so make, if you don't have any QA at those steps, um, you know, that that's what you're likely going to have. You're gonna have some bad data that you weren't expecting. And especially with like Tableau, uh, and this, this is kind of why like, I, I prefer doing it in SQL. Tableau, I think is harder to look at all the data and every possible filter and every possible, um, you know, thing that you've set up. Uh, so it's very hard to integrate test, um, and, and except for mainly going through and checking each filter, but, even if that's, even if you at least do that, I think that's a benefit, you know, going through and making sure that if you spot check your dashboard, it's, it's giving you the output that you expect. Um, so yeah, so, so having those kind of layers where you, you think beyond just um, writing the SQL and it's like, okay, the SQL is right. Or maybe you QA the SQL, but you don't see uh, QA all that, all the work that you then put on um, in, in your dashboard, I think just leads to, to, to risks and, and possible bad decisions being made. Um, so, okay, as far as what data products are, and before I go too much farther, I just want to kind of talk about what I mean when I refer to data products. Um, I'm sure that there could be more examples of this, but this is generally what I've built as far as data products go. So this could be like a dashboard. So Tableau, um, Chart.io, uh, Power BI, et cetera. Uh, reports. So this, is, this could just be, honestly, like sometimes you just need a list. Like sometimes um, some companies just are looking for risks or, or looking for a list of maybe customers they need to contact or, you know, um, maybe they've got, they're trying to do some sort of thing in fraud uh, work and they need people to go look at some claims in healthcare and they just need a list of, of all the claims they need to look up. So this is not necessarily a dashboard. It's just often just like some sort of report that's, that's you know, again, in Excel that they can look at. Um, so that's kind of one another product. Uh, machine learning models. Again, I think that kind of goes pretty self-explanatory. You know, you're just trying to, whatever that might be pretty broad. Again, like people might argue about the, the various types, AI, deep learning, et cetera, but I'm just kind of gathering it all into one and putting it into one section here. Um, so that's kind of another data product because it, it requires, again, some development. It requires data. It requires all these different steps um, to go from, you know, just raw data to some more final product. And then data APIs, this can be, you know, just something where you're creating a tool that allows it to very easily extract that data. Like maybe someone needs to uh, pull data for their company, you know, whether it's just that raw API, uh, like if you're trying to pull data from Austin or something like that, you know, I, I kind of consider those a product in themselves as well. Um, so you do often need to create some sort of system that, you know, ensures your data is still performant. You know, you're not taking too long to pull that data and, you know, it, you're pulling only the right data when you ask. And, and so those are, those are kind of what I mean when I say data product. Um, just so that we have a baseline of, of what I, I'm referring to. All right. All right. So I, I did want to talk about the fact that, you know, um, as far as data products go and, and why I, I like to talk about it is because I think a lot of companies build what I consider data products internally, but they're often not their main focus. And so I think that often leads to problems that I'll talk about shortly, but there are a lot of companies that data products are literally 
maybe nearly 100% of their revenue or, or a big portion of their revenue. So if you look at like Health Catalyst, um, they really create a ton of uh, pre-made dashboards and reporting um, and models to for healthcare uh, um for healthcare data, basically. So they, they basically just built all these dashboards and then have to sell them to other companies. Um, and then those companies have to keep paying for them. And, and the value or the problem there is obviously if you just build a dashboard that is unreliable, um, doesn't report your data correctly, uh, you're likely to obviously lose customers. So they're very much forced to build dashboards that are that are that people want to use um, and want to use over and over again. Um, I can say something about their design. It's okay, but <laughs> besides that, you know, again, they're they're actually a pretty successful. I think I don't know if they're still in startup phase, but I, I know they've had a, a decent amount of funding as far as as what they're trying to do. Um, and then beyond pricing uh, is is more of an ML or or data science type model where they they dynamically price your Airbnb rentals for you. Uh, again, they basically prepackaged a ML model for companies or for for people to use so that they can just plug and play very easily. Um, and obviously that means that whatever they're producing needs to act the, in the best way possible. So people keep using this tool. Um, you, you can't just build this and then not, you know, track the output and track how it's doing because, you know, it could go haywire because um, that's just what software does. And then, you know, lead you to, you know, losing business. And so, so these are two examples of, of products or, and companies that are having to force themselves to be, to really think about that data product lifecycle at a, at a different level again. Um, and I think just to keep going with this kind of thought and, and why I kind of put that first and then this next is um, those are examples of, I think, companies that do this, you know, probably daily. It's part of their, you know, their lifeblood. And I think what I often see um, when you go into like corporations is there's this there's this kind of gap there where it's like um, whenever you go to a big company, you, you kind of run into the same issues, which is uh, I like to call one thing the dashboard graveyard. Um, so again, where you see Health Catalyst, they've got this dashboard that they're selling and they have to keep selling every month or whatever the subscription is. Um, often I find that a lot of companies will have thousands of dashboards, many of which aren't even used, right? Like, so that's why I kind of refer to it as a dashboard graveyard. You know, you've got all this time being spent on building dashboards that then get pretty quickly dropped um, or just don't get used after the first few days uh, of being deployed. Um, and I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. You know, uh, maybe again, maybe it was just a lack of a business alignment, which is kind of the example at the end, but also, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it's the UI, maybe it's um, just, maybe the dashboard didn't really actually answer the questions that you were trying to answer. Maybe it doesn't drive anything at all. Maybe it's just a bunch of what we call vanity metrics. So vanity, for those who don't, don't know, vanity metrics are often just like KPIs that maybe don't provide any sort of actionable um, insights. It, it might just be some numbers that you can kind of point at when things are going well and be like, oh, look how good we're doing and ignore when things are going bad, um, you know, because it's not really attached to anything anyways, right? So if you can't really act, act on it, there's there's not a lot of point looking at it. Um, and so so that's why I, I see a lot of things happening is, you know, uh, you, you just get stuck, um, you know, deploying this dashboard that never works. Um, so I, th I think that's kind of some an interesting problem that you run into. Uh, and with that in mind, sorry, also we're regarding like the, we can say the cultural coaching explaining that while some metrics might look really sexy or really nice to be able to put out there, let's say to investors or for different kinds of things, to be able to, you know, once again, say to sort of correct the or guide your clients and understanding what kind of metrics they really need. How do you go about doing that? Obviously with a lot of patience and being friendly, I imagine. What, how do you yes. do that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is like, uh, I, I try to figure out what they're actually going to do with the, the metrics that we're developing, right? Like, I'm like, okay, well, if this number goes up, what does that mean to you? And um, what would you, what would you, how would you change your, your um, actions, right? Like, what are you actually going to do if you see that, you know, your average sales is, or like your average sales price is going down, right? Like if you're selling some sort of service that, that has some, um, it's maybe a little more variable in costs. And, and it's like, well, what would you do if your sales price is going down? You know, what, what would be your next question? Does it, and that kind of also puts in, uh, goes into the whole process of developing a dashboard in, in itself, because it's like, oftentimes you're developing this kind of high level KPI. And then from there, um, you want to ask, okay, well, what questions, if, if you saw this number go up, what questions would you have to, to basically lead you to the action that you need to take? You know, um, if your sales average sales price is going down, you probably ask something like, you know, are my, you know, is it, is it caused by the salesperson? Is it caused by the time of year? Is it caused by all these different things? Um, and that way you can kind of figure out what your action is. Is it no action because, you know, it's just the time of year or is there action because, you know, your salesperson, there's some salesperson that's suddenly doing way worse, but everyone else is doing fine. And then you can kind of then go um, act on that, that, that knowledge. So I think that's an aspect of it is like trying to figure out what they're actually going to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think I think that's the biggest thing is just trying to figure out what it actually ties to to them in real life. Um, I think another aspect of it is also trying to make sure KPIs are simple enough that you can do that. Uh, I think sometimes it's tempting to make a KPI that's very complex, like it's some sort of ranking number, right? Uh, and that ranking number might be based off of like twenty different whatever things that you're surveying or querying. But it's if that's the case, and then how are you supposed to know what that even means, right? Like when you see like, oh, we're in the 90th percentile or we're in the 20th percentile, well, why? Um, so I think it can become very complex and very risky there um, if you don't have that drillable um, portion of it as well. So so yeah, I think those are a couple, couple of things that can definitely get things into kind of a dashboard graveyard state. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is model deployment. I think this was something I definitely struggled with, with like the first few models I like created, I like you'd create something and then no one would know what to do with it. <laughs> it's like, Oh, I did all this research. Now what? Um, and so having some sort of clear process that, you know, especially people who are just starting out can follow. I think, I think it's the biggest thing about, um, things like ML ops, DevOps, things like that is it, it helps people who in, it doesn't just help people who are experienced in terms of, you know, make sure you maintain, create maintainable systems, but I think it gives a clear set of directions for people who maybe are just starting in the industry. Cause I don't think DevOps or model deployment is something that was often discussed, you know, in your, uh, whatever school or, or coding um, bootcamp that you might've taken uh, maybe oh, yeah. coding bootcamps do, I don't know, but you know, I don't think that's generally discussed, you know, how do you actually take something from, you know, this idea, this research, this, this concept, and then deploy it. Um, and I think that was a, a big miss. Um, and so you'll have all these data scientists and ML people working, but if you don't actually know where to put it, how to implement it, I think you can run into issues. Um, and then lack of business alignment. I think this, uh, this kind of, I talked a little bit about this dashboard, but I, I think, I do still think this is a problem that we, we suffer with, which it might be a dashboard. It might be an ML model. Um, you know, it, oftentimes people might want to build something that doesn't really align with business goals, it might just be purely for the fact that they thought an idea was cool. You know, wouldn't it be cool if we had some sort of predictive, uh, I don't even know, predictive way of knowing how many people <laughs> will actually show up to work tomorrow? I don't know. That, that might be helpful. But you, the point being, it's like sometimes there, there are things where it's like if you have like concrete business goals already, um, you want to see if you've got good ideas uh, for like models, data science products or dashboards that fit within that realm rather than trying to completely, uh, you know, disjoint your business's resources, just because often, again, you only have so many business resources. 
So if you build a model, but you can't even act on the output of that model, um, it's not going to be very valuable to you. So you want to make sure that if you have a model that you're developing or a dashboard that you're developing, that there are steps for that you planned out that you're, that you're going to basically do later. Like, okay, are you going to need to hire someone? You know, when you're doing healthcare, like fraud detection, you need to then generally have uh, an adjudicator look at those claims and then they make that decision if that claim was fraudulent or not often. So you, you need to make sure that you have that plan in place. Um, also, because of, just going back to the healthcare example of fraud detection, sometimes, you know, that fraud might have occurred on a, 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 a service that was maybe, you know, $100. Uh, is it worth to hire someone to adjudicate that claim or not? Um, and that runs into a whole other problem. So do you need to adjudicate it or do you need to change your policies in your insurance uh, plan to make sure you try to avoid that kind of fraud? Um, so, so I think that's that's kind of why it's important to have that business alignment because if you don't have a plan after you've developed this thing, it's going to be very, it's almost pointless that you built the thing in the first place. Um, so, so that, that's kind of I think why you see a lot of a lot of issues and why companies, you know, there are companies that build dashboards for living for a living, and then there are some companies that build dashboards and models and then they disappear um, internally. Of course, not the company, but the internal dashboard or, or model might disappear because it just never gets acted on. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. So, so kind of just what to consider, I think, you know, from, from that, like what I, I like to consider at least for, to try to avoid some of those problems when I'm building um, some sort of data product. Uh, again, I, oh, sorry, I sorry, 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 Ben. We had one, one quick question. Uh, sure. What do you mean by lack of business alignment um, in, in dashboards, not aligning to business goals? Uh, yeah. So, so for example, uh, and I, I should have just said dashboards or models, but basically, yeah. you know, it's very easy to build a dashboard that maybe provides some sort of, information that, uh, or, or KPI that maybe your business, like maybe you're for, okay, let me restart. Maybe your business for, for the next three months is trying to, you know, increase sales or something like that, or, or improve customer perform or customer kind of, um, qual like how they feel customer, um, kind of sentiment. Um, but you know, you're, 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 uh, Data analysts, instead of looking at ways to do that, is now spending time, you know, trying to build an ML model that can, I don't know, detect which person shows up to work that day by their face or something like that. You know, just something like that sounds really cool, but it's like, but it doesn't provide that business value. Or they're building a dashboard that reports on, you know, um, I'm trying to think of examples here, but basically you've got a dashboard, you're reporting on a dashboard that has nothing to do with the actual um stuff that your company is trying to do. Because at the end of the day, you have only so many resources, right? Like you only have so many, I shouldn't say resources, people. <laughs> you only have so many people. Um, and if you're building a dashboard that doesn't align with the things that your business is currently trying to do, again, whether it's increased sales, it's trying to grow, it's trying to, you know, uh, maybe it's trying to consolidate its business, any of those things, if it's not aligning with those concepts that you've already decided and it's doing something else because, you know, they read a cool article about, you know, uh, doing something with IOT devices, um, you know, it's, it's going to waste a lot of time because even if they were to successfully build that, um, that model or dashboard, either one, it doesn't really do anything or two, no one can act on it because all the other uh, people are focused on these other business goals. So, so that, that's what I mean when I say lack of business alignment. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Okay. So, oh, uh, too far. Okay, so basically, in order to try to avoid these, these are generally questions and, and things I try to ask both myself and, and you know, the, the clients that I work with. Um, basically, again, starting out with business goals, because I think that's where you always will start. Um, you know, what are you, what basically what business processes are we trying to drive? You know, um, 
again, are you trying to increase sales, decrease costs? Are you trying to improve customer satisfaction? Um, I mean, at this t- at the top of it all, I, I always like to tell people it's like it at the end of the day, regardless of what you're doing, you're trying to increase sales or, or increase profit or decrease costs. But you know how you go about that is different, right? You might try to improve customer satisfaction. You might try to you know reduce waste. Uh, but all these things generally uh, funnel to the the same two top top level goals. Um, so yeah, just trying to do, define that because um, that that will help you kind of define what products you need to build. Um, and then also, is this something that you want executives to take action on or, or users to take action on, or is this just something that will be kind of underlying, you know, cause you know, do you want, um, you know, for Netflix, do you want someone to click, um, to watch more videos? You know, is, is that your goal? Do you want uh, someone to keep scrolling through your feed? You know, what's the goal? Do you want an executive to, you know, uh, increase resources do you, uh, to a certain problem? Like what, what are you trying to do, uh, with this model or dashboard? So that's generally the first thing. Uh, from there, it's more data management. So I try to figure out, you know, like what data do we have? Where does it exist? Uh, if, they, if they've already got kind of a process, you know, are you doing a lot of things um, in Excel documents? I, I've come through a lot of cases where it's like, oh, we've got like three or four different data sources. One of them is a database. One of them is this one team that produces this Excel file every three months and we get it from them and we, you know, kind of manually ingest it and, and all these different processes. So trying to get an understanding as far as that goes. Um, So that kind of leads to the next part, which is, okay, can we get a centralized process for extraction um, as well as access? You know, you don't want to have it all in various, you know, CSV, Excel, uh, a database here, database there. How do we kind of centralize this and extract it and create a clear clear process? Um, And then what's our plan to QA? I think that's, that's another thing that doesn't always get uh, hit on, but you know, every step along that process, as far as extraction and data transformation goes, um, often doing some sort of QA um, is an important part in your data product lifecycle. I, I really like to think about that through every every step. You know, the more logic, the more QA you add, or the more uh, transformations you do, uh, you just increase the risk of of adding of making data uh, act in a way that you weren't expecting. Um, version control. How do you actually plan to manage the code, the data, and the business logic? Um, you know, I think especially if you're doing like ML models, the concept of like versioning your data, um, that, that was something that I had only recently run into. And it was like, oh yeah, that makes sense as well. So there's all these different layers where you're having to, um, especially if you're doing like production in a large corporation, you have to consider, right? Like you don't want to just consider um, the code, which I think is a little more traditional from software, um, but you also have the data. And I also like to say the business logic because those two components, whether that business logic is a model or, or some sort of just if then logic, um, you know, that can often change, right? Especially with like, I think business logic one week, you know, the rules might be one thing, the next week those rules might change and making sure you can track that and understand why things are changing, I think is important. Um, logic QA, I think that's something that's uh, definitely has a lot of risk. So, you know, do you plan to uh, ensure your SQL queries and business logic are, are accurate? Like, wh- what is it? Um, do you guys, what's the strategy moving forward? Uh, I think I think it's always an, an interesting place that gets missed. Uh, you know, when I first started writing SQL queries, no one actually looked at my queries. I just wrote them and then people trusted me, um, which is, you know, noble of them. But it, it's very easy, I think, to make very silly mistakes in SQL. Uh, you left join somewhere that you didn't mean to. You uh, write a case statement incorrectly, you forget to um, check for divide by zero errors, whatever it might be. Uh, there's just a lot of risk. And I like to say, you know, if you ask two different um, SQL engineers or SQL developers to to write some query, you'll get two different results, um, you know, because you need to have like the, kind of the next step underneath this is you need to have some clear definitions for concepts. Uh, the example I give here is 
Um, I once worked with a company where we were trying to define the concept of multi-day trips. Um, and one person basically said a multi-day trip was, uh, a, as if a trip took, um, existed on more than two days. So, you know, on the first and the second, that was a multi-day trip. And another person defined it as if a trip lasted more than 24 hours. Um, so there's a slightly different definition. So as you're writing SQL, you're obviously going to get different outputs. Um, and so making sure you've kind of got clear definitions and that you, you know, are checking that, I think is also an important, uh, a level of work, especially where, where, especially in any, well, sorry, especially in any industry really, because I think everyone makes assumptions about definitions, um, but having them clearly written out, I think is important. Um, next, you know, do we test and what are you planning? How are you planning to test kind of your data at various stages? Um, and are you planning to do some sort of integration testing uh, being again, from raw data to uh, production, from, from production to your dashboard or your model, are you actually checking to make sure that that data is coming out the, the same way? Um, if you were to write a query, you know, in, in SQL on top of that, that data layer and, and do a similar kind of query on Tableau, um, would you end up getting the same, same output? So I think that's, that's another aspect as far as when you consider what to consider when you're building data products. Um, and then performance monitoring, this is more for ML um, work. So, you know, what, what, how do you basically expect that model to perform? What are you expecting it to do? Are you expecting it to increase sales, increase clicks? Are you tracking that? Um, I think that's a very important step that can easily get missed because we don't want to say an ML model did bad or good. Um, but, you know, if your goal is to have an ML model uh, increase clicks and you're not tracking it, how are you supposed to know if it's, you know, actually increasing clicks? Um, and then also tracking more on the input and output side, you know, is the data changing, you know, is, is, is um, ha have, has there been like some massive change? Like, I think, you know, you saw, you saw some problems just that I'm thinking about this. We saw, we saw tons of problems as far as like, uh, how people were pricing electricity in Texas. Um, and, you know, now there's some crazy, um, bills that need to get paid, which obviously some of it that's maybe it's not model driven however it's driven but the point being is like that that kind of thing can happen where something so drastic can change that now your model acts very erratically and gives output that is undesirable um and so I, I, that's another kind of area that i think uh, I, I like to remind people to think about all right so from here kind of the data product life cycle in theory uh, i'm going to say in theory because i'm going to kind of after this talk about some of the problems that we still kind of face i think uh even today um, so in theory, I think the center is again, some sort of business question or goal, right? Like we've got some sort of business question or goal and, um, you know, I pluralize goals and not questions, but anyways, um, so basically the, basically the whole here, thing here is just trying to understand what, what's the business trying to do, you know, what, what do they want to drive? What do they want to change? Right. Um, from there, uh, things like data gathering, data management, data QA, data analysis, kind of that next step. Um, you know, let's, you know, let's actually get everything together. Let's um, try to make sure that's coherent. Um, from there, again, it's modeling and logic. I'm kind of using this, uh, so that you can kind of either do something like dashboards or, uh, more ML, but you're adding some sort of layer, um, where you're basically doing some sort of either SQL or maybe you're implementing some sort of uh, ML model um, that requires, again, some testing, um, ensuring that your model actually acts the way it should, making sure, you know, your errors are correct, uh, whatever you're trying to do, or if your SQL queries, make sure you're double checking your SQL logic, um, kind of testing leads into kind of model testing and logic um, beyond just kind of the general QA. You've also got this next level um, of making sure that if you're to write, write some unit tests that they still act the same way. Similarly, I think data testing, uh, making sure that the data, you know, as you're processing it is still coming in the way that is expected. 
From there, you've got things like deployment, which is you know managing version control, um, build artifacts and deploying to production, and then monitoring. So, so kind of as I discussed, I think I saw a question come up. What were the questions? Yeah, we've got a couple. We've got one right here. Um, so is there something like metrics to measure that the data we have is to be considered of good quality when training your model? Because I know you mentioned quality in the very beginning, just in the same way we're talking about oil, you know, like you can do a lot of stuff with it, but depending on the quality. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple, couple of different uh, ways you can do that. I don't know if you can like quantifiably say it, like maybe you could, but I think, I think the big things are generally you can write kind of more QA tests. Um, like in general, maybe for, for Q, more for like QA tests in, in order to ensure that your data is good, you, you kind of need to add in your human element, right? Like, cause there's, there are some things you can maybe test like ranges. Um, so like numeric ranges, I think are, are one way. Um, and that can be done a little more automatically for, from like an, an anomaly detection uh, area. But in general, I think most QA tests are a little more manual. Like maybe you're trying to detect if, um, there are any issues with the categorical data set, like you're only expecting certain categories. Um, and for some reason, there's someone fat fingered a category on the application side, like uh, states, they misspelled a state, and now you've got, you know, misspelled states. Or maybe someone put in a date field where it should have been a numeric field. Or maybe someone put a number beyond 100% when it should have been percents. Um, again, maybe from a cost perspective, you know, you're only used to seeing from accounting, uh, only like to up to like $10,000, $100,000 charges and suddenly you're seeing a million dollar charge. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot of that comes down to you kind of running some sort of uh, quick, quick, I, I usually either create or you can, there's, there are some tools that you can run um, some QA uh, scripts that you can just run over your data just to ensure that, you know, yeah, this data is as good as it can be. I think there's always risk for some problems. Um, but, you know, I think there, you, you want to get rid of those kind of big obvious errors uh, as fast as possible. I don't know if that answered the question. Anyway, keep going. Okay. Um, cool. Okay. Right, so yeah, so from there and then monitoring performance. And so this is kind of like, I would say like in theory, right? Like this is kind of the, the ideal kind of world, right? Like you've everything, if everything was to flow, to flow smoothly, um, you know, this whole process would go and you wouldn't have any issues. Um, I think the problems and kind of reality is, you know, oftentimes, you know, business goals and questions section, we often focus more on hype versus impact. And I think that goes on both sides. I think from the tech side, you know, we read an article and we're like, oh, this is such a cool idea. I want to put this, you know, I want to implement this, you know, NLP model or something that has nothing to do with the rest of the business, but I just want to do it because it's cool. Or again, similarly, someone, some, a business side executive might've read an article, might've seen a competitor uh, utilize some sort of thing that your team doesn't currently use. And, you know, then suddenly they want to drive that into the goal, even though it has nothing to do with the rest of uh, maybe that your company's goals for that moment. Um, also just like a lack of communication. So as you're developing that product or that dashboard of the ML model, you know, there's that lack of communication where you're not checking in to make sure, Hey, what I'm building, does it actually match your expectations? Um, is it actually going to answer the questions that you want? Are we going to need to do and do future work um, to make sure that we can add more drillable features or uh, whatever it might be. So I think that's definitely one of the problems. Um, data, I think the big things we often see here is patchwork data flows, meaning, you know, again, you just, there are so many different ways you can move data from point A to point B that people start using it. You know, people might use um, macros for one team. They might use, again, SSIS, Airflow, all these various components. And even 
even where maybe that data lives, you know, one team might actually use the data warehouse. One team might just be trying to build their own side data warehouse. And, and there's just all of these various patchwork um, systems that you can develop that, that really make it hard to do the next thing, which is have clear data ownership. Um, so, you know, not knowing who actually owns data, not knowing where it's going, um, not knowing where to go to when maybe there's a problem, uh, adds a problem, uh, lack of data QA, I think, Maybe some teams put data QA in, some other teams, maybe they just assume again that all the data that they're getting uh, from the systems are accurate, not checking for duplicate data, not checking for inaccurate data. Um, I always just assume data is wrong <laughs> um, or at least not clean. So, you know, having, having some sort of QA layer is good to just to check to make sure that all the data you're getting is expected. Um, and lack of data QA is kind of also tied to lack of data governance. So just making sure that, you know, you have clear definitions, you have clear like, um, You've clear sets of standards for what what you define as accurate data and what you define as not just accurate but also um, basically kind of that source of truth data, um, especially in modern systems that are so well integrated. You know, you might have the same data field represented in multiple applications. You might have like employee um, employee kind of uh, role or something or sales numbers in multiple applications, um, and they're all kind of feeding off of each other and integrating on each other. And then as you're pulling that data, uh, it's very easy to, you know, maybe one team pulls from Salesforce, one team pulls from, I don't know, Zendesk or wherever else. Um, and then you're doing same, similar reporting, but you were reporting slightly differently because they didn't integrate at the right time and you pulled the data at different times. And so that's often uh, another issue as far as data flows go um, in that data lifecycle. Um, modeling logic, I think one big thing is like lack of peer reviews. Sometimes I think this is due to just a lack of ML engineers or, or data scientists. There's just not enough. So you sometimes lack uh, peer reviews, especially again in SQL. I think having someone that, that goes over your code or goes over your logic just to make sure, you know, you're thinking the way that everyone else is thinking. It wasn't just in your head. Um, you know, I think that there's, there's often that gap um, testing kind of like lack of production level testing, um, I think is a big, can be a big gap, you know, making sure that you know, the model you're developing or the, the dashboard you're developing is going to act the way you expect, not just um, in your test systems and, you know, right, like the whole it ran on my computer concept, but making sure that you develop um, testing and unit tests and integration tests that will go beyond just um, your test data set, right? Like, okay, well, how is this model going to act in production once we start, you know, providing it information? Um, deployments, I think there's still plenty of manual deployments, especially for models. And we're still, I think, working on that. And um, I'll be talking about a few team or a few products that are trying to work on this. Um, but I think there's still a lot of manual deployment processes just because, you know, it, it, it's, it does take a lot to go from that to um, more CICD. Also, sometimes just overly complex CICD where there's just too many steps involved to take a model from an idea to a final product. Um, and then finally, just running it all in, in prod. Um, I think that's probably more startups, but, you know, still, still a, a risk in its own. Um, and then monitoring. So, you know, just there's no logging, no defined KPIs and no traceability. So you can't even look at what data ran into that model when it did something wrong, or you don't even know um, what you're tracking because you never defined KPIs, et cetera. There's just lots of gaps there. Um, was there another question on the slide? Yeah, one quick question. Basically, you know, thinking whether this person mentioned, uh, you know, the California Consumer Privacy Act of 2018, and how that might affect the alignment with business goals um, in order to build data products and do analysis, you know, considering those new regulations here in Europe, people frequently talk about GDPR. But in this particular case, do you think that, you know, the California Consumer Privacy Act could have, uh, you know, or basically what is the impact that it can have on the alignment of business goals? 
Sure. Um, I, I think it depends on, on the business itself in the sense that like some businesses um, are very granular with their data. Others aren't. Um, trying to think, I, I wish I knew all the stipulations for, for CCPA. Um, Cause I know like seven years with GDPR, but it's like one, you can often have some data um, per, for a certain amount of time. I think with a lot of these um, uh, policies, you can often hold that data for a certain amount of time, get rid of it, or they might, you know, maybe a customer will ask to get removed and then you have to remove um, that data. Uh, it definitely adds implications. Having a data warehouse, I think, solves some of those problems because you have a lot of that data for your data product centralized. So if someone, you know, asks for that data to be removed, you know where to remove it. So it fixes that problem. Um, I think you'll run into problems. And I think, you know, you see companies like Facebook and other advertisers complaining about this, even with like the things that Apple is doing. Um, you are going to run into problems where, yeah, they're not going to be able to do as well of a service, um, you know, giving you uh, tailored ads. Um, or, you know, maybe you can't, um, what else? What else could you maybe? Yeah. There are other things though, like, for example, that you don't always need people data. Like if you think about uh, the beyond pricing tool, uh, you don't need people data. You just need to know uh, the Airbnb and how much it went for, um, you know, on certain days. So it, I think it just depends. Like, obviously if it involves people, you're going to have problems and you have to work around those. Um, and I think there are plenty of people that are trying to work around those either by anonymizing the data set so that, you know, maybe you're not referencing, referencing a, a specific person, but you're referencing not too much information because an interesting component about, um, about data is you only need a few. It's funny. We've, we, I've done analysis like this. You only need like three, three random data points, like a person's like birth year, their birth state, and like a few other things. And it's like, you can kind of guess who they are, but um, yeah, we can anonymize data to a point where it's like not, and get re kind of not, not to where you can kind of point back to that person yeah. and maybe hopefully still do analytics. Um, I think companies are definitely trying to figure out ways around this. Um, and oh. I think there definitely are. Uh, working in healthcare analytics, we often weren't necessarily reporting directly um, on a person, but we had to still kind of do a lot of analytics because, you know, you didn't want to have direct names attached to things mm. um, since it's healthcare. So, you know, you often just have to spend time uh, anonymizing things and, and, and thinking about, hey, if we are we going to be able to trace back and how and what's the what's the process? And what's the what's the method if we have to? Um, so, yeah, I think I think there are methods already in place for, for other industries. So I think the current industries that have had their way with data for the last five or 10 years will just have to follow suit. Um, okay. Already? All right. So from here, how can we improve the process? Why is it important to us? Um, first, I just want to look at kind of what are the places we kind of need to fix. And I kind of brought this up data management, data QA, testing mm -hmm. and peer reviews, deployment and monitoring. So those are, I think, the, the big areas we're trying to fix. Uh, I think as far as trying to fix them, I think there are a lot of companies that try to do this manually. You know, uh, I think there are some things you can do manually, like testing and peer reviews. That's, you know, you can maybe add in a, a manual process doing something through Git, um, where you treat SQL just like you treat code. Um, I, I would, that's something I think I would definitely recommend at least at the, the lowest level. It's like, that's something very easy to do. And you can just create some sort of analytics uh, Git repository for your analytics team. It makes it much clearer, makes it easy to track. Um, if someone, you know, leaves your team, that's very easy. Uh, data management, we've been, I think we've been doing that for a long time. It's just mm. more about uh, actually implementing it um, and executing on it. So I think I definitely see a lot of, a lot of companies of all sizes trying to still do this because it's a challenge. Um, data QA, I think that's, that's harder because so many people use data. So it's, the question becomes, you know, who, who has to QA, when, where, um, I think it's definitely still a challenge. And then deployment monitoring, I think we're still 
are, are kind of what we're currently fixing. I think the, the top three are a little more fixable. I think deployment monitoring is where we're, we're trying to do a lot of fixing. Um, and I think like tools that help kind of improve uh, your data product and your data flow in general, I think, I think there's a lot of them that are coming out there. Um, you know, if you're talking about data ops, so things that try to like track uh, everything from like how your data changes over time and, and, and what's going on. You've got Dolt, Delta Lake and PVC, which all try to help version control or do something in terms of like managing data um, more, than just, more than just storing it as a database, but actually storing it and kind of tracking changes over time. Um, similar, I'm going to use the, I don't know if the term analytics ops is used. I'm sure it probably is, but like you see it with like DVT, um, DVC, pop SQL sort of, um, just because you're adding some aspects of version control um, to your transformation and your transformations and logic. Um, so I think those are definitely some tools that are, that are definitely trying to uh, simplify that whole flow so that it's not just, you know, you pull in that data and then you're actually tracking how that data is being changed. Um, and so I think that's another kind of beneficial area. Um, similarly, like from analytics side, there's also MLOps, which is trying to really improve the whole deployment process. You know, again, for me, when I first developed my first model, uh, I had no idea what to do with it. <laughs> um, just like, what do I do? Um, so I think, I think there's a lot of companies like MLflow, Kubeflow, um, SageMaker that are all trying to make that a little clearer. Um, you know, Kubeflow tries to do a lot and adds a lot of tools as far as adding a layer onto Kubernetes and, and, you know, giving you a ton of different kind of operators and tools to really process and deploy a model. Um, and, and so I think that's like a whole aspect that's I'm looking forward to seeing. Y Labs is, I think, interesting as far as like startups go. Um, they definitely are really focusing on trying to create more traceability into your models. So this is kind of more after deploying and, and tracking things and making sure that, you know, um, everything that you're uh, model is doing is what you expect it to do and making it very easy to kind of find what's going on and what's wrong. Um, data QA. Um, so this is kind of someone asked earlier about like, you know, can you check your data? Um, are there, uh, you know, what, how would you kind of quantify that? Um, there are tools that are trying to basically automate this process. So like first Egan or write data where they're basically trying to create this ability to look at data sets and, and create more, um, just create more automated processes as far as like data QA goes. And then finally, I think a big area is collaboration. Um, so there's a ton, a ton of collaborative tools, again, uh, range from PopSQL to Domino DataLad to Saturn Cloud. Um, PopSQL, if you don't know, or PopSQL, I think people say it both ways. Um, basically, it's trying to make uh, SQL similar to like, you can think like Google Excel Sheets or Figma, um, where, you know, anyone can kind of comment and collaborate on SQL queries. Um, which, you know, and as well as version control. So that adds the benefit of, you know, maybe if you're a product uh, manager or something like that, you can kind of come in and, and look at a data engineer or, or analyst logic and make sure, you know, it makes sense even with you. Um, similarly, like Saturn Cloud um, makes it very, I think, very easy to collaborate on uh, Jupyter Notebooks as the Domino Data Lab. Um, both of them basically offered various features in terms of, uh, tracking kind of what changes you make. So they do version control as well as making it very easy to comment. I think Domino Daylight is definitely the bigger product. So it's like more mature. Um, they have tons of features as far as like um, collaboration and comments. And um, even they even go to the point of, I think, allowing you to basically deploy models and track those models as well. Um, but yeah, so there, this is kind of, I think, kind of the, the main array of, of tool sets that you'll probably see. Um, I think I saw a question. Yeah, regarding MLOps tools, do you have a chart or slide to show the comparison between these tools? I think that'll be for another meetup. <laughs> yeah, probably. yeah. I was, say, I was like, I, don't, I think it's already like, it's, it's just getting, yeah. it's, like, it's all good. It's all good. The, yeah. the, the, the question is very much welcome. I think we can continue, continue the conversation, Slack, Twitter, et cetera. But anyway, 
Um, yes, I, I think that that would be the, the case. I think the the quick note that I saw, like the biggest thing I think has been at least last when I used it was that I think Emma Flow is a little bit more mature, but I think overall they do a lot of similar stuff. So it's like it's it's one of those things um, that, that I think you're it's good to play with. But I, yeah, I don't have a slide comparing, yeah. sadly. Um, just kind of just to, I think I'll be wrapping up here shortly, but what, what does this all kind of solve? Again, this all the tools really, their goals are to serve, solve things like version control, QA and peer reviews, testing, uh, feature stores, which is something uh, more along your ML models, actually storing kind of features and, and tracking what features are used uh, in various models, uh, model and data registries and ML model performance. Um, so I think this is where we solve a lot of problems. Oh, I just realized I didn't fix the numbers for this. I was supposed to. Well, <laughs> um, okay, so the last, I think last two slides. So what are the benefits um, of all this? Uh, one, we have more maintainable systems. I think that's the biggest goal for me. Mm. Well, one of the biggest goals and as well as reliable outputs. So um, maintainable systems are big again, because I just, I, I think I was scarred by my first uh, job where I, I think I, re I left that job and just realized everything I built was going to go away because <laughs> I was the only person maintaining it. Um, so maintainable systems, you know, uh, I think that's important. Reliable outputs, you know, I think trustworthiness is, is, is hugely important in the data field. Um, you know, if, if you can't trust your data, um, if, you, if you create dashboards that people can't rely on, you know, uh, people are going to quickly just stop using data and just continue going with their guts on decisions. So I think it's very important that we make sure we have reliable outputs. Um, better business alignment, again, just making sure that, you know, things we're doing actually align with what the business is trying to doing. Um, not just, you know, the things that we think are cool. Um, so then that way you actually get the benefits of data and the actions that your team is making and the actions that the business is taking um, driven by that data is actually, you know, doable and isn't kind of stuck because there's no one there to actually take action on that data. Uh, and then finally, simpler onboarding for devs. Uh, I think this is hugely important because, you know, if you're, if you're a new dev and there's no clear like deployment system where it's very complex, right? Like you've got like a 30 page, document on how to deploy your ML model or, or deploy code, it becomes very, very quickly hard for them to do their work. And, and also just makes it very, you, you almost like hold back on deploying code when it's that complex. But when you make code very easy or ML models very easy to deploy, it's, it's much more likely, I feel like that you're going to deploy code. Um, so I think that that's also a benefit. Um, just some general challenges you'll face, cultural buy-in. I think that's always always a challenge you'll face because, you know, if people have been doing things manually for years, it's very hard to let go. The resistance. Um, yeah, we see it It's everything. always there, yeah. right? Like it's, it's very hard to go to automated things because, you know, it's letting go of control. And if you've been doing that forever, it's, it's hard to do. Sometimes I even see it where it's like, oh, yeah, I should let go of this. But also I just want to check to make sure it's doing the things I want. Um, balancing process and action. I think this is always a challenge because I think, uh, you know, we, you want to add in process, you want to add in this, this kind of ML ops or whatever it might, you want to call it to your, to your whole process, but you don't want it to kill innovation. You don't want it to now take six months to deploy code. Um, you still want to make it very simple and very quick. And then finally, I think finding the right tools. Uh, there's so many tools out there. Again, I showed like, I think like three of each just because I didn't want to like go in depth, but you know, go Google ML ops tools and you'll find, you know, uh, VC and other people's like, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, ML mops, like market maps with tools that are like only like 20 pixels each because <laughs> they have so many. Um, so yeah, so finding the right tools, I think is hard, but I think the big thing is keep it simple. You know, just try to solve a few problems at first. Um, you know, don't, don't go for every tool that you need, you know, start with, you know, one problem, like, you know, how to deploy your model or how to manage your data or whatever it might be first. And then, you know, make sure that's integrated and then get your next tool. 
Um, so that's what I say challenges are. Um, some of the ways I've kind of seen people uh, and some of the clients I've improved kind of their daily life cycles. One, upgraded from cron. I think it's been a huge change for some, for, for the clients that I've done that for that for, you know, now they don't have to risk uh, or have the issues that you run into when you're managing data flows with cron, which is, you know, often dependency management is tricky uh, or if it happens at all. So I've had companies kind of move away from that. Um, created, created the integration tests for their dashboard so they can actually rely on it and they are not having to manually have people kind of go through uh, dashboards anymore. I think that's been a big thing, you know, moving away from kind of some more manual, uh, not, you can call it testing, but really just clicking through to make sure the output is correct. Um, and then implementing KPI tracking for their models. So actually making sure that uh, when I've been building models for them or, or they've had models built in the past that we actually follow that up with actually building some sort of KPI tracking. And in this case, it was a lot to do with like optimization or pricing and figuring out, okay, is this optimization or pricing actually working or not? Um, and so like helping them implement that system so that they can look at that number um, and not just trust that the model is working. So I think that's the key areas I've seen this just benefit people. Um, and with that, oh wait, takeaways. Uh, <laughs> I have so many slides. Um, so yeah, so just, uh, some key takeaways, basically developing a product, I think takes a lot more than writing SQL query or making a model. I think there's a lot that has to go with in terms of, you know, thinking through the process. Um, there are a lot of places I think that data can go wrong. And so making sure that you have processes in place that can track that and fix it are important. Um, and just having, just having general processes, I think Im improve kind of efficiencies and maintainability. Uh, and that's really, again, kind of, I think my, my main goals. So thanks so much for listening. And I think now, so now what? Now we have QAs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think we're all good, man. We got through a lot of questions as well. Um, to begin with, one thing you know, as we're finishing up, though, I mean, if we can pin you down, it's okay if 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 you prefer not to not to get too deep in this. You know, being somebody who works with data so much, you know, like in in our community, we talk a lot about all the different databases that are out there. You know, and they're and they're, and they're different ones based on based on different needs. Do you have? Uh, I mean, you, I know you mentioned uh, a couple things earlier. But you know, databases you feel more comfortable working with that you just feel or align better with your your uh, your clients' needs. Um, as as far as like what databases go, I think um, I think overall, I've definitely had the opportunity to work with a lot of companies more that are that aren't needing huge databases. So I, I've honestly like in some cases got away with like doing something on Postgres rather than like Redshift or Snowflake because you know the performance on on that is just as optimal um, if you don't have big data. <laughs> or it's yeah. like the, the performance benefits you can get from from building on Snowflake or something like that. Um, yeah. Uh, I no, think that's I, the thing is because you know we've had we've had more than a couple of meetups with uh, with folks that are really big in the Postgres community and they say, you know, this is and just in the same way you're talking about Python, this is about as battle tested as it you can get. It's like we yeah. know, functionally speaking, there aren't going to be any crazy surprises. Depending on the use case, depending on your uh, your client, what they're looking for, their other technology stack, and things that they might be looking for. Yes, you know, we we do encounter. Uh, you know, we had a meetup uh, last week uh, with uh, someone from MariaDB. We've had CockroachDB on here. We've you know we we touch a lot on this on this database topic. But I think once again, as as with so many other things, it really comes down to use cases. Yeah. And, and so like you said, is that if you're if you're dealing with customers that are uh, or clients that are, you know, they're making it that have uh, that they have a certain amount of customers that they have a certain amount of people in, the, in their CRM that they're, they're working with and that they're processing. A lot of it depends on, you know, what's going to be the best fit and not force um, a particular situation just because we might find it more attractive or that as balls and whistles or certain features. 
in the same way that you were talking about tools, there are tons of tools out there, but you know, if and when it makes sense for the, uh, the use case, the business case that you have. Um, all right, we won't take up any more of your time. I think we definitely have enough to move on to, to schedule another meetup with you. So I would definitely like to do that. Um, for all the folks that want to check out uh, Ben's blog, website, all you got to do is type in Seattle Data Guy. Very easy to find. Um, we'll try to probably continue the conversation on Slack as well. So if you got questions, feel free to jump in there too. Um, before we finish, we have a tradition. You met Angel in the very beginning. Um, Gorka, can you share my screen? So what Angel has been doing while you've been, uh, while you've been talking is creating an artistic rendition of all <laughs> the different things that we're talking about. And we have a little bit of interesting, extra interesting details in this drawing because uh, Angel's first language is Spanish. Um, and in Spanish, from The Lion King, the song is The Cycle of Life. In English, it's a circle of life. So that's why we got that little <laughs> Lion King tribute in there. But I think it ties in very, very nicely. Um, awesome. So anyway, it's always nice to have Angel with us because he creates a great representation of what's going on. Um, ben, we, uh, we owe you a lot. We got a ton of info out of this. I think it's great groundwork for a lot of folks for, for whom this is very overwhelming about, you know, where do I start? Um, I think all the, all the people you're working with as a consultant are very lucky to have you. Um, your hunger for knowledge and your willingness to share it is very clear through your blog. So like I said, I, I think we need to think about a future date. Um, and I still want to talk about data and food. So that's a perfect excuse to continue the conversation. Um, but anyway, we, uh, we, got, we, got, we, got, we got plenty of questions. Like I said, we can, we can continue the conversation in Slack. Um, thank you very much. And uh, we'll have the video up for, for everybody else on, on Thursday. Right? So we'll get that up soon. Perfect. Great. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot, Ben. Thank you. Have a good one. Cheers. All right. See you. Bye. Bye.